Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Anna Chavrutza, your Dana Osband, our daf of the day, Masachi Kiddushin, daf Zion, page 16. I want to talk about the part, there's a part here towards the bottom of Ahmed Aleph, uh, where the words cite the Mishnah, that there's an advantage, I guess it's an advantage, right? Or at least that there's more um, for the Amahivriya, for the for the Jewish or the Hebrew maidservant, meaning as compared to the male. The idea here is that Rish Lakish is talking about the way that the Ama, the Hebrew maidservant, right, the way she will acquire herself the way she goes free from, um, out from under a master's uh, authority. I guess I should note that, you know, this most of this death up until now, right, maybe all of it has really been talking about servitude, you know, as we've been talking about now for a bit, for a couple of dapim. So she acquires herself through, through the death of the Baal, through the death of the master. And the question here, or the discussion here is about a kalvachomer, right, the same way, that she would acquire herself from the death of her father, she would acquire herself from the death of the master. But let's read this inside because we've got another another factor here, right? The same way that she would go free from her father's authority with the signs of puberty, right? Because then she'll be an adult, right? So the point here is it says, if the signs of puberty, namely they do not, they do not bring her out from her father's authority. She still remains under his authority. On the, you know, we say she's an adult, but she doesn't yet get released from his authority. Um, but it seems that they do release her from the master's authority. So then in that case, um, the same way that death would indeed release her from her father's authority, authority, you know, how much more so? Meaning that the death of the uh, the death of the master would release her from that authority. Let me try to set it up a little more clearly, right? The idea here is that there's two people who can have authority over the maidservant, namely her father, you know, prior to her even becoming a maidservant, she's under his domain or under his authority, and the master. The way she goes free from her father would be, let's say, from the death of the father. She can also get married. She could also, again, be bought and put under, or whatever the you know, into debt or sold into debt, so that she's under the authority of the master. Under those circumstances, well, in the event of the death of the father, shouldn't that mean that she should also go free from the master with the death of the master, because she goes free from the master when she hits puberty even though she doesn't go get out from under the authority of her father when she hits puberty. Now, I find this to be like eye-opening, this assumption, it's just presented as a given, right, that so she's going to be able to exit, you know, the authority of the master with puberty and not her father's house. Um, and also we should note that as far as we know, as far as we've looked it up, we couldn't see anything talking about it, right, the male servant does not have any 
like signs of puberty and now he goes free from the master which i find the whole thing seems like it's a little bit you know out of the out from the blue it's presented in the mission but it's a sidebar and i think that the logic behind it as much as it's presented the logic to explain why she would go free with the death of the of the um of the master it doesn't explain the rest about the puberty Mati Ravoshaya, Ravoshaya has an objection specifically from the Mishnah. The maidservant has this um, advantage, or, you know, again, it's an additional mode of getting free over the Evid, over the slave, the male slave, because she gets free, she goes free with the, the signs of puberty. Tana Vishir. So in that case, right, the same way that she would acquire herself through her father's death, which is what Rish Lakish says, so then why doesn't the Mishnah say that she's also released from the father, from with the death of the father? Meaning it should be present there as well. The Gemara says, no, the fact that we don't have an explicit statement, it doesn't, you know, not having an explicit statement doesn't give you proof that it's not the case, right? The same way that the Mishnah teaches one difference between the male slave and the female slave, it doesn't have to mean that that means that, and therefore that's the only difference between them. The difference between them can also be the death of the father, although it doesn't seem to be a difference, right? That would somehow apply to both of them, at least while they're both in, under the age of majority. Mashir, Dahashir, what else was omitted then in the Mishnah? Meaning, what else did the Tana of the Mishnah leave out? Shier, Mitata Adon. He left out the specifics of the death of the Baal, of the Adon, right? The master of the servant. Why is it left out? It, you know, you could think it's left out because it's actually not relevant, right? That that she would remain a servant or whatever. And I guess that would be an inherited, uh, uh, inherited mastery, I guess, to the heirs, right? But the claim here is that she's not right when the when the master dies, the um, mastery over the right the I don't know what to call this the the fact that somebody has another person in servitude, you know, is canceled, right? If we want to say that the master, um, due to the method, due to the death of the master, the servitude would not be canceled. You could say that theoretically anyway, because it's not listed in the Mishnah. On the other hand, the Gemara says, no, that was not an accident, meaning it's not, it was not left out because it doesn't count. Rather, there's another halacha that talks about a man. We know about the, the case of the man who's got his ear, you know, going to pierce him to the wall, whatever, right? And we don't have that case in this Mishnah either. You don't have to list every single case in the Mishnah for it to be, you know, relevant uh, or or to have halachot that are not explicit. They don't really have to be explicit. It's really fine. Meaning the point being, yes, the de- the with the death of the master, the uh, slave girl goes free. So the problem is that the Gemara hasn't quite gotten that far yet. Right? How do we know this? Tana devarshi yeshlo kitzba Katani, So then understand it this way. She's she the Gemara says, let it 
let the let let it say, let it teach, let the Mishnah teach, right? That the point is that she's going to be freed from with the death of her father. Mary says, well, the time of the Mishnah teaches something that has a set time, but not something that does not have a set time. Kitzba. What does that mean? You don't know when the father's gonna die. You don't know when the master's gonna die. The Mishnah isn't exploring these like more amorphous possibilities that would let her go free as compared to I guess the presumption is that puberty has a more definite arrival time. And of course, the Gemara says, no, it's not a more definite arrival time. Meaning the same exact issue. The, the signs of puberty do not have a set time when they're going to arrive. And yet they are in the Mishnah. So this idea that the Tahan and the Mishnah is only including things that have a set time falls by the wayside. Amrav Safra. Rav Safra says it's true that there's no set time, um, you know, at which time, like, what time, how old is a is a girl going to be when she um, when she reaches puberty? But there's still a minimum time at which you would understand that she certainly hasn't reached the age of puberty at that point. So in that way, it does have a, a measure of a set time, meaning. Nobody thinks that a six-year-old, let's say, has reached puberty, even if it's not clear when, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever. Um, okay, and then it gets into the signs of puberty for a boy, and I'm going to stop at this point and hand it over to you, Yardina. I know you have an even bigger conundrum to introduce us to, I'm, I'm a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about this stuff, it's like really stuff, at least for me, I didn't, I don't really know a lot about. I mean... This is totally not halacha that we do today at all. And there's details in here, which are just very interesting to read about because it's just, I don't know, just kind of not stuff that we really talk about or think about, you know, I, I, again, maybe some people have, but uh, I, that that's what I'm finding to be very, very interesting here. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to move on to something on Ahmed Beck here. Uh, that basically is going to discuss sort of a gift that you get or a, a severance gift that you get uh, at the end of your, whatever your service is as, as a slave. And I think what's interesting about this is, and I don't know if the Gemara later on is going to explain a little bit more. This was, you know, again, something I had actually never heard about before. And Anne and I, in preparation uh, for this particular episode, you know, we were doing a little bit of our own research to be like, you know, what is the gift? How do you get the gift? What's the monetary man? We actually didn't find um, that much about it, which was also, you know, sort of interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, this is uh, it, this is sort of, we're in the middle of a discussion here uh, where it gets to it, but it says the following. Metev Rav Amram, right? So Rav Amram is basically objecting to something that uh, Rish Lakish says, okay, beforehand. Right? And the, this is the piece I want to focus on. These are the slaves who you get this severance gift from. Somebody who leaves after six years, right? We know six years is considered to be the, if you had to sell yourself as a slave, you only have to do six years. Right? Or if Yovel comes, right? If you were a slave who got your, you know, who agreed to serve longer, a male slave, and you got your ears pierced, pierced and then, but Yovel, you automatically uh, we're also freed. You also get a gift. Right. If the death, if the mass, if your master dies, and the Hebrew maid servant who's released because they have puberty, which is what you were talking about. Ian. 
Right. And so the question here is, is that it becomes, is that, uh, isn't she also, uh, you know, shouldn't she also be emancipated through her father's death, as Rachel Luckage says? So why doesn't in Nitane Nami Mitat Av? Why doesn't the Brisa also teach that? Right. And so you could say that here too, he taught some differences between a Hebrew slave and a maidservant, but he omitted others. Um, and when he teaches the word Elu, these, right, this means that this is halacha that applies only to a slave that's freed and in no other ways. So the Gemara is going to go through and want to like explain that uh, a little bit more, but that's sort of like how we get introduced to that. Um, later on, I'll just, I'm skipping around a little bit just to talk about, because that's, I'm really interested in this uh, question about the, the uh, severance, right? Later on, it, it teaches another brace, Tani Fada, Enek Ebed Ivri, right? The severance gift is given to the Hebrew slave, La'atzmo, he gets it for himself. The Enek Amahavriya La'atzma, and a, a female slave, she also keeps it for herself. The Tanya Idach, right? But we learn in another brisa, Enek Amaha right? That the severance gift of a Hebrew uh, slave and any lost item she finds belongs to her father. The Bilvad, and her master only has only the reimbursement for her lost time. Right, he's paid money that he would have earned if she had been working instead of carrying home the items that she found. So, in other words, the idea is, is that if she found something, it goes to her father, it doesn't go to her master. But the master is reimbursed time because the idea is, is that if she found something and picked it up and carried it, that means it was time that she was not actually. Uh, that she wasn't actually bothering um, to work. And so the Gemara from there is also going to mention again, uh, you know, it'll go on later. I know I'm not reading a lot here. I'm sort of, I'm skipping around a bunch. You know, does this go to her? Do, does, does it go to her? Does her father get it? Could her brothers get it? And and this is how we're sort of like introduced to it. So now I'll just go to the bottom where they give a little bit more uh, of a fuller treatment to this. Gufa, Elam Anakim Lahem, Right. And so again, they quote, they, now they want to go back to that original Brisa, which they quote again, that the categories of people who get the severance is someone who leaves after their six years, the Yobel, Mitata Don, right? But the Brisa goes on to say, right? But somebody who runs away or is released by deducting money, they do not get that payment. Rabbi Rabbi Meir agrees that somebody who runs away doesn't get the severance gift. But if they were released by deducting money, right? In other words, maybe they didn't have their full payment, so they deduced some of the money. Uh, they still would also get a gift. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, right? There are four ways of emancipating, you know, a Hebrew slave, right? And when And when they get it, they're going to get, when they are, you know, freed, they get this gift. Right? There are three that apply to a man and three that apply to a woman. But you can't say there are four for a man and four for a woman because the one that has to do with puberty only applies to a woman. And the one that has to do with ritzia, with piercing the ear, only male servants would pierce their ear. That was not something that applied to... um 
that would apply to men. And then from here, the Gemara is going to go on to want to know where's the halach, like the actual source for this uh, in the Torah itself. Um, but I think this whole idea that there was like, not only did you, were you guaranteed freedom under certain circumstances, but you even got a payment uh, to actually leave, I think, again, goes along with like, this is a very different type of slavery uh, than the slavery that we're used to thinking of. But I think, so I just want to go back to the point of the, this gift, right? The severance gift. I find it fascinating that it seems only to be given to those who essentially fill their term of servitude, right? Meaning because something happens to cut it short or to end it, right? Maybe it's not cut short. If it's, you know, the Yovel, whatever, it could be cut short. It could be that you've really worked a very long time and, and your time is now up. But as opposed to those who are redeemed, who are, whose servitude is purchased by another, right? Then there's no severance gift. And I'm thinking about what does it mean that, like, here this slave, again, whatever term we want to use for this person, is going off into, into freedom in a different way than if somebody else has come along to buy them out, right? The time has bought them out or the death of the, of the master. And I feel like now suddenly they're on their own. And so what? So they get some, because we don't really know exactly what this is, you know, the, some monetary benefit to go to help them on their way? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hypothesizing here. Yeah, I, I, I would think that's what it is, that it's sort of like, you know, um, it, it helps them in a certain way. But I agree with you. It's, it's, I, I, I feel like we're still just piecing together a puzzle there. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the stop in our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.